I am eternally grateful to our latest guest on Soundtracking, who ended up speaking to me twice for the podcast following a computer malfunction. Honest Gov wasn't some kind of trick just to get the chance to chat to him twice. Hey, but that's the kind of guy Rob Delaney is. He is awesome. Best known for bringing us the multi-award winning catastrophe with Sharon Horgan. Rob is so many things, an actor, comedian and writer of formidable talent who's appeared in a whole host of films, including Bombshell, Deadpool 2 and the forthcoming Home Alone reboot. Rob's also a huge music lover, which is why our good friends at Invader Records invited him to put together one of their celebrity playlists. And it's with a track from said playlist that we begin. The Turnaround by the OCs. my god i'm so i'm so sorry and i'm so grateful oh it's okay how much your hair's grown in three days as well jeez <laughs> you know what you know what happened is i uh i shaved my beard into a mustache so that is what is the difference that you're seeing that so you don't with the sun have like a kind of you know the i don't know why why do i do that i guess a beard <laughs> a, a beard suggests for me sometimes that I'm like in between jobs, you know, maybe like <laughs> depressed or whatever. So, but I hate shaving. So I just grow a beard and then I shave it off. And so I, this is, that's the third lockdown beard I've shaved off. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Listen, thank you so much. I mean, Jesus, um, I was, it was like, no, when I kind of came into my computer, it's like, oh, for Christ's sake, it's so annoying. But I got a, I found a tech whiz as well who managed to help me find a couple of the bits. So I, I nearly got everything back, but not everything. Thank you for your time again, Rob, mm. man. I really appreciate it. No problem. I was just speaking to, weirdly this morning as well, I was chatting to Reg Weeks because I'm going to do the playlist this week for them for Invader. Love it. And weirdly after we spoke, it's weird every day. So I, when he, he messaged me about it the other day. And so every day, or there'll be times of the day where I'll stop and a, a track will just pop into my head or an artist and I'll go, oh, I've got to go and add that to the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this w- wonderful little kind of thing that's kind of fluttering around in my background that I've uh, like, almost like kind of, I guess if you were like, had a bonsai tree or something, it's the type of thing of kind of you have to prune and yeah. look after and that kind of thing, but in a musical sense. But I loved looking at your Invader playlist and it feeling like a real, um, I mean, I'm, from, from following you on social media and stuff, you seem like you're you've got you've got a genuine love of music and mm-hmm. 
and it's it's something that you you love and enjoy but it feels like it's something you can almost kind of go to for certain things as well and the list that you've given or you gave to invader was awesome it was so so good so varied as well oh thanks yeah well i i tried to just play put on it what i've really been listening to in these last few months uh i didn't want to be cool or be like you know put stuff like nobody will have ever heard of this you know i'm sure there are some things on there that are new you know nobody knows everything but i just really wanted to sort of give a lockdown snapshot of what i've been listening to so yeah a lot of sludge on there um (laughs) after after just a decade of the tuned down guitars and desert rock and stuff I'm finding that I like a lot of the fuzzy stuff, but it's also melodic, like um, that Swedish band Goat that's on there um, is really wonderful. stoner rock as far as I know but uh, (laughs) especially when it's uh, fronted by a woman and Swedish I mean then then that all cylinders are firing that's a whole new sexiness around it immediately (laughs) it's just like totally yeah what else is on there oh yeah Dave Mason shouldn't have took more than you gave in fact (laughs) when I put that on there and gave it to Inveda I was like that that sort of sounds like something that um they might put into their next, uh, that, that uh, Jeff Barrow might put into the next yeah. Alex Garland project. <laughs> yeah. Sure took more than you gave Then we wouldn't be in this mess today I know we've all got different ways But the dues we've got to pay still the same melodies person or a lyrics person i am couldn't 
possibly care less about lyrics. Uh, which is funny because I'm a writer and when I write a script, I'm like a despot. But for me, when it comes to music, that can just be about anything. Yeah. Or they can be about nothing. Yeah. The only lyrics I think I don't like are the lyrics of the band Fish. And yeah. why do I why do I care? Because I think their music is really interesting. And I and uh, but their lyrics, I'm like, what is this Dungeons and Dragons nonsense? It not obviously, I love Dungeons and Dragons style lyrics because I listen to a lot of metal. But they feel like they're like dilettantes. They're just like casually like, oh, maybe this is what Dungeons and Dragons is like. And I'm like, come on, man, you gotta get into the arcana. Commit. The overhead view is of me in a maze, and you see what I'm hunting a few steps away. soundtrack and score is that something that's been that you've resonated with for for a while yeah i would say so as soon as i figured out that films had directors you know i mean <laughs> i can remember being 13 for example 14 and i would like you know rent a video at the store because it had an actor in it that i liked and then i was like wait a minute they don't just show up and do their thing. There's somebody who directs it and writes it. Oh, okay. So once I figured out that films had directors um, in high school and like David Lynch and stuff and Kislovsky, then I was like, okay. I wonder what the first soundtrack I ever got was. It, it might have been prompted by uh, Louis Mal did sort of a bunch of rehearsals of um, Uncle Vanya mm -hmm. uh, as directed by Andre Gregory. And that had some music in it by Joshua Redman, um, saxophone player and band leader. And, uh, and I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. So I think that might've been the first score that I bought.
Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is really like a proper opera. Never heard it. Oh my God, uh, that's shocking to me. I'm sorry. I have a pad and I'm writing it yeah. down. <laughs> um, yeah, so The Umbrellas of Cherbourg is a movie from the 60s by Jacques Demy, and it stars Catherine Deneuve. Oh, he did this film um, um, that I was talking to people about today called Model Shop. Huh, okay, I don't know that one. Which has inspired this amazing documentary called Echo in the Canyon about the whole Laurel Canyon music scene, you know, like Beach Boys and the Birds and all that Ooh. kind of stuff, and um, Buffalo Springfield. And it's amazing. It's been made by Jacob Dylan. Okay. And this guy, Andrew, who used to be the CEO of uh, Capitol Records, got got fired for whatever reason who knows not important but the film's beautiful and it's Jacob going out and interviewing all these guys so he's interviewing like David Crosby and Jackson Brown and um, Michelle Mm. Phillips Eric Clapton it's Uh insane but this weirdly it was the the reason for them making the film was because they watched this um, film by Jacques called Model Shop that kind of had this whole time frame around LA and they were like God, this music really did something and shifted things sort of thing. That's so weird how it's weird sort of synchronicity of the same director. Right on. So The Umbrellas of Cherbourg will blow your mind. Um, it is effectively an opera because it's fully sung uh, with music by Michel Legrand. And it uh, is, is magical. Uh, I don't really want to say too much about it. Un blanc sec. Un autre Payez-vous Vous n'avez pas de monnaie Non Vous êtes tous les mêmes Avec vos gros billets Moins que toi, hé, paumé Fais ton métier et fous-nous la paix Dis donc, hé, alors quoi Oui, ça va, laisse tomber as we finish this very special oh great oh, i'm so excited it's got to be on some kind of streaming device oh i'm sure it is surely have you been watching loads of stuff then going back and watching like films that you haven't had the chance to to watch yet from I, that's what i've loved about this time oh god yeah i mean i would love to often what happens is uh my wife and I get the three wild boys to bed <laughs> and then we pass out right after. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, things we've watched, you know, Devs we watched, oh, which was yes. magnificent. You know what I neglected to tell you in our last conversation is that I, I, have, I have the very good fortune to be friends with uh, Nick Offerman. And some of Devs was filmed in the UK, uh, you know, a fair amount of it. So he would come and hang out with us. And um, he had the big forest beard, but his hair in that was actually a wig. And so he was totally bald under it. And his beard in real life has some gray in it. So they 
you can't really tell when you're watching the when while you're actually watching devs, but his beard was quite reddish in person. So he's got a big red beard, bald, and um, <laughs> yeah, he would come and hang out with me and my kids. And uh, one day, I, our baby actually was you know experienced some some distress, and I took him out of his little pajamas in the park that we were in, and he had gotten a hair, probably one of my wife's long hairs wrapped around one of his little toes and it was cutting off the circulation. So a scary forest from Debs, except even scarier because he was bald, was holding my little baby and trying to calm him while I kind of like had to surgically cut like a hair tourniquet around his toe. Oh my God. So he probably, if you enjoyed the show, it's probably because (laughs) uh, Nick went back with a whole new... Uh, outlook and, yeah. and to the character, and I think you know probably he was able to access some of the darker stuff that uh, you know before that he probably would have been like I don't want to be able to do this, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> did he explain much the show to you, or did he talk to you about it much? Because I I I loved it. Oh God, I loved it so much. Um, you know, he didn't tell me too much about it because I, you know he knew I was excited to watch it and and watch it just as a as a normal civilian. So I, I didn't quiz him too much about it and I was crazy about it and uh, one thing that really blew my mind was uh, you discover pretty early in the show that he's playing a bereaved father and husband mm-hmm. and oftentimes since I am a, a bereaved father uh, you know my son Henry died um, two years ago of cancer I don't like it when people put stuff in their show or their movie where you learn like, oh, his kid died or his wife died. So that's why he's like this. You know, Mm -hmm. that's why he's a bitter cop with a drinking problem. And they just kind of use it as shorthand and sort of a lazy way rather than give you, you know, genuine reasons as to why their character might be the way that they are. Um, Because they're not creative or interesting writers. (laughs) And, uh, but the thing is with, um, with devs, it's really wonderful and realistic. And so my wife and I watched it and, you know, we learned that his child had died and his wife had died. And then what the character of Forrest decides to do because of that is, um, I'm going to give an opinion here. Uh, Not really a spoiler, but it's an opinion. What he decides to do is fucking monstrous. Uh, That's my opinion. But it's funny because my wife and I watched that. We were like, yeah, we didn't do what he did when our kid died. But like, we get it. There's parts of us, you know, like I used to fantasize about walking down the street uh, with a baseball bat, smashing cars, windshields, and until the police came. And then them asking me to put the bat down and me saying, nah, I'm good. And then just Mm -hmm. sort of seeing what happened. So, you know, I don't do that because I have other kids that I love. And a wife that I love. Uh, also, it's fun to do podcasts. So, you know, Twice. but I, yeah, but I understand the the rage and the mm. desire to punish and uh, make other people feel your pain is, um, I think, pretty natural. You know, I think it's it's in the not doing that and in the learning how to not do that that you can really grow and heal in some ways, but. I totally respect anger and rage. I think they're, uh, you know, super healthy (laughs) things to feel. Have you thought about using that experience to 
to write about it in a way that feels we you know you, you talk about how you you really thought this was a great way of of someone who'd gone through grief how it was depicted is that something you've thought about doing is is writing through your experiences and your emotion of someone going through grief not directly yet that could happen but i've been doing it more obliquely for example we wrote the end of catastrophe quite soon after Henry died. And, um, you know, I can't believe that I wrote a whole series of TV uh, with Sharon Horgan so soon after that. But I kind of wanted to show my kids that life would continue for them. So I sort of like modeled what I thought I should do. Like, oh, they should see their dad go to work so that they go to school, you know, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So... So I did, and I didn't know what that experience would be like. I quite enjoyed writing the fourth series of Catastrophe. However, at the end, that definitely was me weaving some of my grief into uh, scripts and into a show, because, you know, the ending of of Catastrophe is um, somewhat of a curveball. Not necessarily a curveball, but you're left with some serious questions. And so I, you know, very consciously wanted to uh, hurt people, not in a way that they wouldn't recover from, but I wanted people to feel pain and sadness and confusion and love um, at the end of catastrophe. So that was, yeah, Catastrophe wouldn't have ended that way if Henry hadn't died, certainly. Yeah. And what, how, how significant was that track then to that specific whole process, sorry, that whole process, you know, that arcade fire track? Well, it's very funny because, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on, on the writing 101 guideline of show, don't tell. But the lyrics to that track are, are really telling you uh, what's happened. I mean, it's, it's, it's basically like, a, you know, a final statement uh, about the characters of Robin Sharon. So, so they're critical. We literally took out some things that we wrote uh, Sharon and Rob saying, because we were like, oh, well, let's just let Arcade Fire sing it. You know, (laughs) I think people would rather hear them sing it than us say it. So we'll just, you know, go for a swim (laughs) while it's playing. And, and that was just what we did, you know? to get clearance on that track oh yeah right so the story there is pretty fun we didn't have great difficulty getting 
in getting a pretty close contact to Arcade Fire, someone who's worked with them for some years. And so I wrote her and I said, hey, what do you think? You know, uh, this is our show. This is what's going to happen. We would love to use this track uh, for the final minutes of the show. And she knew the show. and She was like, oh, wow, wow, that's really sounds great. I'm going to tell the band about it. And then my what experience tells me what will happen is it'll take a long time <laughs> and then they'll come back and then they'll say no. Yeah. And I was like, great. Super. Or yeah, it's going to cost you $5 million. So, I mean, it always costs something because you don't want to, you know, you want to pay people no matter who they are. Incredible work that they did. So very, <laughs> very happy to pay musicians. But you even have to get permission to pay them, you know. I mean, so <laughs> that's what we were asking for. And so what happened was uh, I wrote her and I was like, all right, I guess, you know, a little while down the road, we'll find out we can't do it. And then she immediately wrote back. I was like, yeah, they'll do it. So that was exciting. I guess maybe somebody in the band knew the show. That's awesome. Does that tickle you? Oh, my God. It was so wonderful. I mean, I'm assuming you like Arcade Fire. So then you go, oh, my God, Arcade Fire watch our show. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's (laughs) ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I had that once when I was doing an interview for this where I had to interview um, uh, Steven Soderbergh. Mm. I was so nervous about going to interview him and I kind of, you know, I'd done as much homework as I could. I went in and I was like, hey, you know, hi, hi. I was like, thank you for doing this, you know, and just explained what the show was. And he was like, oh yeah, I really enjoyed this Sophia Coppola episodes, at which point I literally hit the floor and was like, uh-huh. oh, God. but it made it feel worse that he'd like listened to an episode and was like, oh God, this is worse. It's like, it was so uh-huh. bizarre. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, it was so odd. Um, I wanted to, can we go back to Debs about the, um, yeah. about the score? Because we spoke to, I spoke to Jeff about it briefly and, you know, that kind of marriage that he, with him, obviously him and Ben working across a, a number of scores, Ex Machina and Annihilation and stuff, mm-hmm. brilliant. And then with the Insects as well. But that's a really good example, I think, where, I mean, Debs is brilliant, but I think if we, if you removed the audio, in terms of the sound, not not the speaking. Oh, yeah. It would not have the effect that it has because what they've no. done with that score is no, extraordinary. No. I mean, Alex Garland, like 
David Lynch, you know, the sound is, is indispensable. Um, and it's not an afterthought. Um, it's, it's, it's clearly very important to him what's entering your ears and not just your eyes, you know, whereas some directors just, you know, do crash bang, whatever, and get a hot expensive track to throw in there and boom, let's go, you know, yeah. or hear whatever a composer throws together for him. like, oh, that'll do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not the case uh, with those guys. Um, yeah, and it's amazing. And what's really lovely about uh, the last couple of Alex Garland things, the, I can't, I know, I mean, I love Ex Machina, but I, I can't remember the music. So I'm, right now I'm just talking about Annihilation and Devs, is that you've got incredible score and then incredible soundtrack as well. And clearly, you know, as much TLC and effort went into to both components of the soundtrack. So, you know, incredible Crosby, Stills, and Nash tracks. said recently that they wanted to get the guys back together to play because the only thing they hate more than each other is Donald Trump and I thought that was funny <laughs> I like that a lot also David Crosby's new albums are good for some reason yeah you should see him talk on this this film it's he's amazing and oh great Jacob at one point like gets him to sort of go oh, I didn't get kicked out of the band because of this that and that I got kicked out of the band because I was being uh, a dick and it's like <laughs> it's he's amazing and and if you had a, a kind of dream of a band reforming who would it be Fugazi comes to mind <laughs> first yeah I mean they're all alive they're all doing various other musical projects and I'd like for them to play together more listen to that's like still alive but not together with Crosby Stills and Nash is a pretty good one. Oh yeah that'd be amazing although I kind of only know what Crosby's been doing recently I don't know what what um 
Stills. Stephen Stills, yeah. Stills, yeah. There's a, a sorry to bang on about this film, but there's another brilliant bit where they speak to Eric Clapton about how they influenced him, and so they've managed to do this great thing where they have them both playing guitar solos over this one track. So they're like almost mm-hmm. trying to like outdo each other. It's so funny, and uh, mm. Stephen's kind of you can see he's. He's weathered is how I describe him. You know, you can see he's okay. been there, done it, wore the T-shirt and mm-hmm. and uh, and whatnot and stuff. But um, it's so fascinating. I just kind of love learning more and more about kind of music. And they had Michelle Phillips on there just talking about how she fucking loved having sex. And, you know, she was like, oh, I, was wow. a, I think her words were, I was a busy girl. It's <laughs> like, uh, wicked. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's so good. Yeah. I, yeah, I was listening to Joni Mitchell this morning. I love all Joni Mitchell, you know, early and more recent stuff. It's just amazing. Do you play? Not really. I mean, I can. No, not currently. I mean, I can play the piano um, and did for years. And I played bass in a band for a couple of years. But uh, I don't have any instruments in my house. I have a little uh, electric keyboard. I think one of my kids stepped on it tonight and broke it. <laughs> so uh, I just had a guitar shipped over from America. We've lived here five years. I finally was like, I guess we live here now and had a big crate of stuff shipped over that includes a Telecaster that I'll take out and have to bring to somebody to like, you know, rehab a little bit. You're going to start rocking out at home. That's it. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, get a little jam session going with the boys. That'd be awesome. That'd be yeah. so great. I read as well you cite in um, Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here as a, a film that you really enjoyed. Oh, crazy about it, yeah. Was, was part of the enjoyment of that, the score with it as well? You know, Johnny's score for that, Johnny Greenwood? Oh, great Johnny Greenwood, yeah. Great Johnny Greenwood score. And and, and, and a, a much um, sort of, uh, it, it's not it's not symphonic, you know. There's a lot of electronic stuff and just sort of noises in there. He's messing around, and um, which is really nice because some of his other stuff, like for Paul Thomas Anderson, is you know symphonic and incredibly intricate and stuff. So it's fun to hear diverse uh, types of soundtracks from him. I love that movie. Um, I love the sound design of that movie as well. Wouldn't it be great if if that was the movie everybody was talking about instead of the Joker? You know, when we're talking about a Joaquin Phoenix movie where he just goes fucking berserk. Oh yeah, that's yeah that the scene with the CCTV. What it's yeah, <sighs> yeah. Yikes. She's so such a brilliant filmmaker, Lynn Ramsey. I think she's just yeah. Like, we need to talk about Kevin. What an extraordinary film. Mm. I am. Um, I think she's brilliant. I just wish she would make films more more regularly. Time. Yeah. We also talked... I f- I'm really sorry, because I know we're repeating stuff that we talked about the other night, but that's because of um, when my computer's failure. We talked quite a lot about Succession and about Nicholas Patel's score. Oh, yeah. 
I put that on my Invader playlist actually for this week. That theme. Oh, tune. great. say everybody loves the succession score so what even to say of course you do unless you're stupid but fewer people listen to uh if beale street could talk that that is a score oh Some of the arguments they have in a Beale Street could talk. That was um, that was the first film or show that I've seen since Catastrophe ended that I thought, God damn it! I wish that I had seen that earlier so that I could have stolen from it because there's some inter and intra familial fighting in there that is just vicious and beautiful, and I really would have liked to have just lifted it wholesale and uh, <laughs> used it and said that I came up with it. He said something really interesting when we spoke to him for the show, Nicholas. He's such a nice man, was that he he very much writes to the performance. So if there had been different actors cast in those roles, the score would have been up would been would have been different. I find that absolutely fascinating. It's not about the story. It's well, I guess part part of it's about the story, but it's about the way that the story's told by these people through their performances.
do you write with music? Do you write? Do you have music on when you're writing? Sometimes. Um, if I'm writing by myself, sure. But not. Yeah, I guess now I do. I've become one of those people. I don't think this is good, but I'm one of those people who listens to music all the time. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say I don't think that's good is because I think silence is good for your imagination. So I really should, like, even today I went for a run and I was like, why don't I just leave my headphones behind? You know, I just think. And I was like, no, I'd rather listen to some prog stoner rock <laughs> uh, while I run along the river. <laughs> and that's what I did. And it was fun. <laughs> I've been taking my uh, 11 year old for a, a run. Um, just uh, it's been really nice, actually, like just like just under three miles. And he, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's amazing, like co- co- the conversation that you can strike up with him. It's very different to yeah. what you can have within the confines of your home environment. It's been really interesting. It's been really... Yeah, it frees up your mind a little yeah. bit. Your body's firing, so your mind starts to wander and you think about different things, for sure. I want to ask about a couple of um, film stuff as well, because that's the brilliant thing about about you in terms of, you know, being someone who writes, but being someone, you know, who also, as well as the TV stuff, all the films, and I think the last film I saw you and we talked about was, was Bombshell, where yeah. you played this character, Gil, who was not a real person, which gave you a, a wonderful creative license to make him really specific to how you saw him to be, which is, I imagine, one of the fun things about being an actor in terms of the creation. Oh, it's so great. Yeah, because since he wasn't real, you know, all the other men in the movie are, are, are real people. And they're, you know, real sort of alpha, you know, really want to project their masculinity. And so this guy, every single scene of, of mine is with women. And most of my scenes are with Charlize Theron. And so I kind of wanted to have him be sort of a calmer, cooler guy that you might have thought, okay, I might be getting some, uh, I might be getting some insight, might be getting, might might get a little bit of the milk of human kindness from this guy. (laughs) But fuck that, it's Fox News, so he's a piece of shit. But I wanted to play him in a way that, that you wondered, you know, wait a minute, is he? Oh, something, never mind. Um, <laughs> so get a few scenes in where you realize, like, you know, he may say these things, like, in this way, but w- what just transpired? Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> um, so that was fun. And then Jay Roach, who directed it, is amazing. Um, he did all the Austin Powers movies and all the New Parents movies and many other movies. <laughs> Oh, he's also uh, married and has been for a very long time to Susanna Hoffs from The Bangles. No uh, way! In case you didn't know that. Did she yeah, come on so set? She was on set a lot. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. I mean, I had a total fangirl out of that sort of thing. I'd have been drooling. Like, I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd have that thing I call band Tourette's where I kind of, if I'm in the company of a band from work or whatever, and uncontrollably sort of a, a, one of their songs will pop into my head and then I find myself mm-hmm. singing it without even realizing that I'm singing it. So I'd be like, walking <laughs> past the craft food truck without giving it Manic Monday or something. Do you know what I mean? Making oh, yeah. Absolute tits of myself. <laughs> I just want to tell you, I just got a text from my wife that said, the rat is back and he just screamed at me when I got too close to his lair. <laughs> awesome. That's all of that to look forward to. <laughs> the rat. So in our back garden, now it would be maybe two months ago. We're in our back garden and we are here rustling in a little bush. 
And I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of big. And I, we got excited. I was like, honey, I think it's a hedgehog. And I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna have my first London hedgehog moment. I'm so excited. And then this rat, a little smaller than a full grown cat came out of the bushes mangy you know like chunks of fur missing uh it just that horrible pink rope of a tail and uh i'm in a truly ugly rat and uh i'm like oh my god and so i got a rat trap the classic snap trap put some peanut butter on it and put it near its favorite area and uh a few hours later i hear snap and i go out there uh peanut butter not on the trap trap empty and uh, the rat just happily, like, sucking his claws, being like, you thought you were going to get me with one of those, you sad little man. And uh, now he's back and hanging out with my wife, so. Hey, at least you didn't catch, like, trap a hedgehog. Can you imagine if you'd gone back out there after the snap and it'd been oh, a hedgehog? Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and right, listen, before I let you go, a uh, couple of things. Um, Home Alone, the reboot, yeah. which I am, I've got a pencil and I'm pointing at you now. I mean, uh, what? That's so exciting. And I know that kind of obviously with everything going on, it's kind of been sort of the pause button's been hit, but Archie Yates from Jojo Rabbit playing, I imagine <laughs> it's the main character. You're playing Jeff, is that right? Yeah, so Archie Yates um, plays Max, and then um, I play Jeff, and um, Ellie Kemper plays my wife. And um, basically, I don't want to say too much about it because it's kind of amazing how they do it it's not a reboot it's not a remake it's not a sequel but it absolutely takes place in the home alone world in a very different way and so we antagonize each other in in some pretty magnificent ways it's, it's a very stunt heavy film amazing. um and uh god <laughs> i hope we get to complete it you know i think we shot like 30 out of 51 days so oh i've got everything crossed yeah. yeah oh my nice. god it sounds brilliant and also two things for anyone who has any kind of um you know young kids male male i would say male more so than girls sort of thing um if you haven't been turned on a dude perfect yet it's something that you need to watch immediately my <laughs> boys are obsessed yeah. with it. And your mate shane nicholson nicholson is it nicholson Nickerson. Nickerson. Even better, Nickerson. Um, He made a documentary (laughs) about these guys. And these guys are... Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a phenomenon. It's massive. Yeah, so wild. I wonder, like, uh, behind the scenes, do they try each stunt a few times? It would be funny if they were just amazingly touched by God and got everything (laughs) in on the first shot. But yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, like, flying in a plane at like not a really low altitude and like throw a basketball out and have it land in the net, you know, I mean, it's yeah. insane what they do <laughs> and a lot of fun. And yeah, I, I hadn't even heard of it, you know, cause now entertainment is so, you know, fragmented. You can find whatever you want. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're like, I'm primarily at what I find most entertaining is Hungarian nuns tickling, <laughs> you know, underage Latvian boys. It's the Hungarian to Latvian, the tickle thing in the context of the church which it's not illegal, but should they be, t- you know, like if that's your thing, you would find that, you know what I mean? So I just, there could be a big cool thing that you don't know about. So Dude Perfect, while wildly popular, I didn't know about it until I found out that my uh, friend um, had made this documentary about them. And so I watched it. Yeah, and it was great. And yeah, this guy Shane is wonderful. He gave me my first um, real writing job in TV. So I'm eternally grateful to him. And he's still making cool stuff. 
And I I don't know how it's how to ask this question because you revealed it in our last chat, but Bart Layton is someone. Oh that yeah. You, Right, uh, yeah. I can't remember how we got onto that last time. I think you might have asked me if I was writing something, um, to which the answer is yes, yeah. Yeah, we just finished the first draft uh, very recently uh, on a script we've been working on. Um, it's fun because it's taken a while because we're both doing different stuff and often not in the same country. But finally, yeah, we've got first draft of the thing uh, that we've written. I, can't, I don't really want to say anything about it just because you know, it's not like announced or anything, but... But uh, he's amazing, and and to be able to uh, write with him has been, you know, educational and fun and funny. Yeah, I think it kind of combines our, our sensibilities in that it's uh, about some pretty important stuff, but in a, often in a very ridiculous manner. Yeah, I hope that gets out there to be seen by folks. Awesome. And mm-hmm. a score that means, I mean, not the most to you, but an important score for you. What would that be? Well, what you're about to watch, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, is is just tremendous and absolutely wonderful. Mon amour, oh mon amour, Geneviève, ma petite Geneviève, Guy, je t'aime, tu sens l'essence, c'est un parfum comme un autre, Guy, je t'aime. The scores, they probably have equal importance to me, but uh, The Double Life of Veronique um, by Kislovsky, and then the scores to Blue, White, and Red. Because uh, he's also referred to, he's actually sort of a character in the films as well. There's a fictional composer in those films called Van den Budenmeier, and really it's just Preisner. And um, it'll be fun. They'll be like, oh, well, we're going to the Van den Budenmeier uh, <laughs> recital tonight. And people like, oh, really? So it's kind of a fun way to secretly promote yourself within
that's really beautiful. And then when Kislovsky died, uh, Preisner wrote a piece called Requiem for My Friend, which mm. is magical. was very happy i should tell you to get a couple of the the tracks on catastrophe yeah uh, in the first and fourth series why why are they so important to you what is a band well they're quite uh cinematic in scope i mean particularly the album dusk is a uh, kind of i don't know if it's a concept album necessarily but it's a very wonderful a to z listen that's really of a piece and um Matt Johnson, who is the the, is fairly uh, obsessive in a wonderful way about engineering and production. So the soundscapes, and it's not like there's any crazy instruments. It's your basic. <laughs> if they yeah. laid out all the instruments, you'd be like, "Yep, I know what that is." And uh, <laughs> but then when you hear it, the richness of the sound is amazing. So oh, and I said I didn't really care about lyrics uh, earlier in the call. I guess I lied because I'm crazy about uh, the, those lyrics are, are, are really beautiful and really emotionally raw and open and wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking about the lyric. What kind of man was I who would delay your destiny to appease his tiny mind? You know, um, like really poignant, beautiful stuff. Uh, oh, uh, love is stronger than death, you know? I mean, he just like wails at the climax of the, why can't love ever touch my heart like fear does? Shit, if you find out, let me know. That's like that that lyric from the national track, you know, I dreamed about you for 29 years before I met you. And it's like, fuck, whoa. Well, thank you for your time. I'm sorry to- um... Hey, thank you. Thank you, this is great. Thanks so much for doing for second sitting as well. And I hope everything's all right with the rat. And um, I, God, who knows what's going to happen. And I, I hate, we're probably going to have to do like physical combat. Like he's not going to, he's like, weapons aren't going to work on me. You're going to have to get bloody. You want me? You got you a know. lightsaber in the house? Try that. Yeah, I do. I, yeah, I have a plastic one. Uh, <laughs> Try I, that, couple, yeah. I mean, I have a couple. I, yeah, I have nine and seven year old boys. Of course I, <laughs> <laughs> of course I got lightsabers. <laughs> You need to uh, you need to use one of the uh, the Home Alone moves on on him from oh God, from one yeah. of the original films or something. So one of those <laughs> yeah. would, would definitely work. Um, listen, the bowling ball. <laughs> yeah, the torched top of the head. Thank you so much for your time. Um, it's really great to chat to you again. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Rob. Take care. You too. Thanks so much. So here you live, trapped inside the days. Your pen. Moving across the page 
As used in Catastrophe, that We Can't See What's Coming by The The. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the wonderful Rob Delaney. My hugest in the most hugest of huge thanks to Rob for taking the time to talk to me, not once, but twice. Uh, you can find much of the work we discussed on home entertainment formats, including the superb catastrophe on all four. Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes, including my chats with Sharon Horgan, Nicholas Bretel, and please do subscribe whilst you're there. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And we also have a little YouTube channel where I'm putting together a weekly show featuring a whole host of guests from film, music and TV. So if you want to see Rob's face, then head to our little YouTube show and you can see it there. Next up, we're joined by a wonderful woman who's already forged a fantastic career in the theatre. She's a writer, she's a director, and she's about to unleash her feature film debut, which has been scored by the fabulous Volker Bertelmann. The film's called Summerland, and it may well be our first trip back to the cinema as it's due for release on Friday, the 31st of July. She is the wonderful Jessica Swale. And I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. In the meantime, stay safe. 